West Bulls, good morning. Hey, say this after me. The Most High God rules over the kingdoms of men. And gives them to anyone he wishes. We're going to try that one more time. All right. The Most High God rules over the kingdoms of men. And gives them to anyone he wishes. It's a, it's a powerful statement. I mean, when I, when I read that statement, when I think on that statement, and when I make that statement, I get a picture of just how broad and how vast the scope and the reach of God is. But if I'm totally honest, I look at that phrase, and I think, well, I'm a little puzzled at times, too. Because I look around at what's going on around the world, and I have to be honest, there are moments where you go, do you reign? Do you rule over the kingdoms of men, God? And, and I think what's probably more puzzling for me is the second part of that. Because I think we can all think of people in the news who, who have been given power and influence, and you think, God, you gave power to them? I mean, did you, did you mean to do that? Because the truth is, decisions are being made and being handed down that are affecting the culture that you and I live in and walk in and walk through every single day of our lives. And they're decisions that some, we, sometimes we have no say over. And so that's hard when you look around because you think, I'm not sure I would have made that decision. And I'm not sure that's what I hoped for. And more importantly, we think, God, I'm not sure if that's what you would have hoped for. And it's hard because it feels like that there may be some people in power and in position that maybe they have no regard for what God is up to and it feels like God and his people are flying under the radar. And I'm here to tell you this morning that as puzzling as that is, that is an incredibly powerful position for you and for me to be in. And that may make you turn your head and go, huh? But I think maybe it's best explained by something we see in the news every couple of years. Every couple of years, you read about a mountain climber or a team of mountain climbers that make it to the summit of Mount Everest. And it's so interesting because when they get to the top of Mount Everest, when you listen to or you watch or you read their interviews, you know what you hear? They're pointing at the people who made the journey with them. They're pointing at these people who live at the base of Mount Everest all year long. They're called Sherpas. And these Sherpas, what they do is, in living at the base of Mount Everest all year long, they know the weather conditions at any given time on the mountain. They know how the ice formations are changing, and they know that place. And many, many of them, they've scaled the summit of Mount Everest not just one or two or three times, but many of them five to ten times, oftentimes without oxygen tanks. In fact, a few years ago, a couple of these Sherpas were in the news because they scaled the summit of Mount Everest for the 21st time. I mean, some people dream of making it once. Now, these, when these mountain climbers show up, these Sherpas become, well, they become a valuable, valuable resource, and they make the journey up the mountain with them. And they're a trusted voice, they're an advisor, and they're a companion to these mountain climbing teams. Now, I tell you all that because these mountain climbers often say that there's no way I would have experienced the glory of what I saw at the top of Mount Everest without the people who journeyed alongside. Now, quick side note on these Sherpas, okay? Incredibly wise, incredibly intelligent, very insightful, probably very good looking. They've all been found to be under five feet, five inches, okay? 
Amen. And that is all that needs to be said this morning, all right? I actually appreciate Jody Barker says it's not called short, it's called a godly height, okay? <laughs> but uh, here's why I tell you that story, because as we open the book of Daniel, part of God, the most high God's rule over the kingdoms of men is that he placed in power a pagan Babylonian king. And that pagan Babylonian king was making decisions that were affecting the culture that God's people were, were living in and walking in. And they, didn't, they probably didn't like it. Okay, but the other part of the most high God's rule over the kingdoms of men was this, that he placed a trusted voice, an advisor, a companion, right next to that powerful king. And as you may have guessed, it's Daniel, who we've been talking about the last few weeks. And Daniel had been to the summit of what God has done in his life over and over and over and over. And guess what? That same position that Daniel was in, I'm here to tell you this morning, you're in that position and I'm in that position because God, in his rule over the kingdoms of men, he has placed you and he's placed me right next to and in a culture that for, for many, many intents and purposes has forgotten about God. And he's placed us as a voice to speak into that culture. And so this morning, as we look at Daniel in chapter 4 and his walk next to King Nebuchadnezzar, we can learn a few things about how to walk next to and in the culture that we're part of. There's a lot to learn. Now, when chapter 4 opens up, chapter 4 opens up, and the last few weeks we've been talking about Daniel, and he's been a young man that we've been reading about. At the beginning of chapter 4, it's thought that about three, three and a half decades have passed. And you look at that and you think, how is Daniel still there? Because when you study and you read about King Nebuchadnezzar, he was a cruel king. And he would behead people just for disagreeing with him. So you look at this and you go, how is Daniel still right there? I mean, we're not used to the idea of a king. But think about this. This King Nebuchadnezzar, three decades. This would be the equivalent of a president in his ninth consecutive term in office. Uncontested, unchallenged, unrestrained by any checks and balances whatsoever. And yet, where's Daniel? Right next to him. And we look at that and we think, well, there must be something special about Daniel. Or there, and there must be something that Daniel did or didn't do. Because you could read the beginning of Daniel like that. I mean, you could read about all this stuff that Daniel did and his wisdom and his courage and all that. Or you could read about what the Babylonians did. But you know what you see in chapters 1, 2, 3, and throughout Daniel? These sentences that start with this phrase, the Lord. You look in chapter 1, you see the Lord gave the king of Judah. That's the southern kingdom of Israel, God's people. The Lord gave the, kingdom of, the king of Judah into the hands of the Babylonians. That is, God did this. And then you see that the Lord gave Daniel favor in the eyes of the military commander. The Lord did that. And the Lord gave Daniel and his friends knowledge and intelligence and all kinds of wisdom. The Lord did that. Chapter 2, you see Daniel declaring what the Lord has done. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and he deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep mysteries 
And then you get to chapter 3, because we talked about the furnace last week. And you know what you read? The Lord is able to rescue his servants. And he does. And so you get to chapter 4. And no wonder Daniel is still right where he is, three to three and a half decades later. Because Daniel looks around at his life and he knows, I am where I am because God put me there. In fact, if Daniel was standing here today, you know what I think he'd say? I think he'd say that even, even though you're ruled by a king, God is still the king. Because Daniel had seen that in his life. Even in the midst of a culture that just was, he was saturated in it. Even while ruled by a king, God is still the king. There's a, there's a well-known story about a man who was at the controls of a battleship, a Navy battleship. And it was nighttime, and he saw this light up ahead that appeared to be coming toward them. And he said, uh, well, Captain, um, there's a light up ahead, and I think we're, we're on a collision course with this light. So the captain said, okay, send a message, you know, signal them that they need to alter their course 20 degrees. So this guy sends the message, and uh, a message comes back from this light. And it says, uh, no, you alter your course 20 degrees. And the captain hears this, and he gets on the radio, and he goes, okay, we're not, we're not doing this. I'm a captain. You will alter your course 20 degrees. And the voice came back and said, well, that's wonderful you're a captain, but you will alter your course 20 degrees. And they're getting closer to this light. And finally, the captain gets back on the radio, and he's mad by now. And he says, I am on a battleship that is headed straight for you. Alter your course 20 degrees. I demand that you do that. And the, this message came back, and it said, well, that's wonderful. But I'm standing in the lighthouse on the rocks you're about to run your battleship into. And Daniel knew that even though, even while ruled by a king, God is still the king, and he has ultimate authority. And so as you open Daniel chapter 4, you read right off the bat that King Nebuchadnezzar, he also has realized that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of men, and that he does have ultimate authority. Because what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here is he's basically writing about something that he has just walked through. He's, re, he's recapping something that happened in his life, the Lord's work in his life. And look at what he has to say. Chapter 4, verse 1. He says, It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Now, already we have to stop because you learn two things here. First, you learn that anytime you see God's work in someone's life, it produces a testimony of his work in their life. But the second thing you learn, and this is just a plug for you to read your Bible because you learn so much about people. Look at this. It is my pleasure. Did you know that King Nebuchadnezzar worked for Chick-fil-A? <laughs> my pleasure. If you don't know that, just go to Chick-fil-A and say thank you one time and you'll find out. My pleasure. But he goes on, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And you look at that and you just think, how does this guy who he has every reason to think he reigns, how does a guy like that end up declaring that God reigns 
that God has ultimate authority in this world. Well, he, he tells a story about how he got there. And for those of you who know, he's got, he has this dream. But he starts out the story, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified, excuse me, terrified me. And so if you know the story, you know there's a, he dreams of this tree. And it's a tree that reaches to the heavens. And everyone can see it. And it's got all kinds of beautiful leaves and fruit and animals come to eat and graze under this tree. But a voice from the heavens sounds. And it says, cut down the tree. Cut off the branches, strip the leaves, scatter the food, let the animals flee, and leave a stump and tie a chain around it. And so this is what happens in his dream. And then this voice, verse 17, it says, The decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know, and here it is, that the most high God rules over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Well, the king wakes up from this dream. And just as he did in chapter 2, he's thinking, I don't know what this means. So I'm going to call the wise men of my kingdom. And I'm going to have them interpret this. And none of them can figure it out. And once again, who does he call? Daniel. And Daniel shows up. And the king starts to tell him this dream. And then you read something that is so interesting to me and so unexpected for us. Look at verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time. And his thoughts terrified him. Okay, stop there. Terrified him. I mean, is that what you'd expect from this young man whose life and now, now older this young man whose life had been laid waste by the Babylonian reign and kingdom, would you expect terrified, or some versions say alarmed, or frightened? That's not really what you'd expect, is it? I mean, you'd expect happy. You'd expect full of vengeance. You'd expect him to say, finally, you're going to get what's coming to you. But that's not what Daniel is. He's terrified. In fact, he's so terrified that the king looks at him and he says, Daniel, it's going to be okay. And Daniel turns to the king and he says, no, it's not because you're the tree. But then listen to his heart for the king. He goes on. He says, my Lord, if only, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. See, Daniel really, truly has a soft heart for this king, this cruel, vindictive king. He said, if only I was saying this to your enemies, but I have to say this to you. And then he goes into the interpretation. Verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree that the Most High has issued against my Lord, the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times or seven seasons will pass by for you until you acknowledge, and here it is, that the most high God rules over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. 
The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. And then once again, you see Daniel's heart for the king. He's saying, you can, we can still avoid this. He says, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. See, what Daniel realizes and what you and I have to realize about walking in and next to the culture that we exist in is what Daniel realized. That number one, even while ruled by a king, God is still the king. But then number two, the king, God, the king, he wants to be their king. Daniel's realizing all this, and this is why he's so terrified. Let me ask you something. If you knew, or if you were reminded that the king wants to be their king, how would that change the way you walk next to who you walk next to? Israeli doctors are known as some of the greatest in the world at what they do. And people come from around the world to be treated by doctors in Israel, including a very unlikely source. An article came out a few years ago. The prime minister of Hamas. If you don't know who Hamas is, they're an organization that would love nothing more than to see Israel wiped off the map. The prime minister of Hamas, um, he got in some hot water because he, he admitted that he and his family, when they need medical care, guess where they go? Is, Israel's hospitals. Now, you look at that and you go, wow. If I was one of those doctors, could I do that? Could I do that? And they interviewed an Israeli doctor who, for obvious reasons, wanted to stay anonymous. But they asked him, why do you give treatment to this man and his family? Why do you do that? And this doctor simply answered, it's a human life, and it is not mine to take. It's someone else's. Wow. You look at that and think, could I do that? And yet, guess what? You see it throughout the pages of Scripture, right? God, God looked at Jonah, and he said, hey, I'm going to send you to some people. And he sent them to who? God's people? No, the Ninevites. The Ninevites were terribly cruel people. And then there's that time in Acts where there's a man named Ananias, and the Lord comes to him in a vision and he says, hey, I'm sending a man to you and I'm going to need you to care for him. And I'm going to need you to lay hands on him so that his seeing could be restored. And his name is Saul. And Ananias was like, I know that name. That guy's been murdering Christians all over the place. You want me to care for him? And the Lord said, yep, because he is my chosen instrument to carry my name to the Gentiles. Would that change your perspective of how you walk next to who you walk next to? Well, this story continues, and it actually looks as though it's suddenly going the other way. Okay, verse 29. Twelve months later, one year later, check this out. As the king was walking on the roof, this is Nebuchadnezzar, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon 
that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. And you read that and you just think, oh no. Oh no, 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 no. And, and I'm sure Daniel, wherever he's at at this point, is going, oh no, 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 no. Now the dream's gonna happen. Like you had one last out and now it's gonna happen. And it does happen. Verse 31, the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times or seven seasons will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. There it is again. Until you acknowledge that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of men. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His, his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. I read that description and I thought, that was actually my personal hygiene in like fourth grade. <laughs> and if you ask my wife, probably still today at times. <sighs> But I want to I draw attention to something that's not here. You know who's not in this scene? Daniel. Daniel's not in this scene. And I'm sure Daniel had moments, if he knew this was going on, going, oh, no, 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 I, I, I got to get to him. I've got to, I, I've got to change the attitude here. I've got I've to shift whatever he thinks he is. But you don't see Daniel. You know why? Because this is God's moment. This is God saying, it's my turn. This is where I get to do what only I can do. And what Daniel realized is the next thing that we have to realize. That even while ruled over by a king, God is still the king. The king wants to be their king. And then Daniel, whether this was intentional or not, we learn something. You make way for the king. Because ultimately there is something he can do that we cannot. And that is be Lord of the heart. And we're about to see him be Lord of the heart. Now, have any of you ever had the, the um, displeasure of taking your, your child or a child to the first day of kindergarten? Oh, it's terrible. It is absolutely terrible. I remember taking Lainey to her first day of kindergarten. And this is that thing in us that just wants to like, we want to get in the middle of everything. Whatever God's doing, I want to get in the middle of it because I want to be a part. I want people to, you know, know my name. I had a part of it. I need to be in the middle of it. Well, I take Lainey to the first day of kindergarten and I can already see some parents struggling to leave. And the teacher like sees me come in and, and I'm like don't, not wanting to let go of Lainey. And I can tell the teacher's like, oh, great. Another one of those parents like, He's going to try to spend the whole day here with us. So I'm checking, Lainey, do you have your lunch? Do you have your coat? Do you have, you know, be strong, be confident. And guess what? You're still taller than that kid over there because that's going to be a struggle one day in this family, okay? <sighs> and then she, the teacher looked at me and it was the, it's time for you to go sign. And so I stepped out and graciously, the school that Lainey goes to, they have what's called a mommy cry breakfast on the first day of kindergarten. I was the only guy at the mommy cry breakfast. 
And I cried harder than any woman in that place. But that's that thing in us that we want to get in the middle, don't we? We want to get in the way. But you know what? You know how you walk next to a culture that has forgotten about God? Well, you realize what Daniel has realized. You remember his reign in your life. You desire his reign in their life. And then this is the hardest part. You let him reign in their life. In other words, you get out of the way. At this moment where God is about to do what only God can do, you don't see Daniel there. And look what happens. This is what God does. Verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. Did you notice that? He raised his eyes toward heaven. Daniel not in the way anymore so that he can see heaven. And my sanity was restored because that's what God does. And that's what only God can do. He restores hearts and he restores, as you'll see in a minute, kingdoms. And he restores lives. We can't do any of that. Nebuchadnezzar goes on. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Well, what have you done? God, I was going to be a professional basketball player and you made me five foot four. I was going to be a firefighter and you sent me to junior hires. It's kind of like putting out fires sometimes, huh? (laughs) I wanted life to look different than this and yet you have me walking through this. You remember his reign in your life. You desire his reign in their life. And then you let him reign in their life. You know what that means? It means if you're here this morning and you've heard from people about Jesus and and he's Lord of their life, you know what that means? That means that there are people who have experienced his reign in their life and they desire his reign in your life. And they they want to see him reign in your life because the honest truth is that 2,000 years ago, the most high God who rules over the kingdoms of men and the kingdoms of heaven and gives them to anyone he wishes, well, he wanted to give you and me a kingdom that is far beyond any kingdom of men. And he did that by getting on a cross. And he died and rose again to give us part of his eternal kingdom. Now, if you're in here and you're a Christian, maybe you've been one, you're a new Christian or you've been one for years, Daniel helps us out incredibly here. Because you know what this means? It means we should always be reminded of what God has been up to in our life and how he has shown up over and over and over and reigned in our lives. It means that we should desire to see him reign in others' lives. Too often we think, ugh, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't decide that. I didn't want that to happen. I don't think that's what God would want. And we forget that the king wants to be their king. So you desire his reign in their life. 
And then finally, the hardest piece, you let him reign. You step back and let him step into the spotlight. Remember he reigns, desire his reign, let him reign. One story and I'm done. Um, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving 2014, uh, my grandma's health was failing. And so we went out to Nebraska to see her and she was in bad shape. I mean, she had moved from nursing home to hospice care. And she was sitting there, and this is the relative, I, I don't know if you have these relatives in your family, where it's like the family's been praying for them, not just for like a week, but it's been like years and decades, and it's like, oh, I just want to see them give their life to the Lord. I just want to see them give their life to the Lord. And our family, I mean, there are a lot of relatives on my mom's side of the family, and so Soon you get these strategies going, and they're like, okay, well, I'm going to try this week, and then you're going to call next week, and let's just, let's just pepper her with, you know, with, with talking about Jesus. Well, I mean, for years. She's never been interested in it. So I'm thinking, oh, man. I mean, her health is going downhill. And I'm sitting here with her at Thanksgiving out at a nursing home in Nebraska. And I was like, all right, maybe it's because I'm supposed to. So I'm like, Grandma, I, I know we've kind of talked about this before, but can we talk about Jesus and who he is in my life and who he wants to be in your life? And Grandma, like, looks up and she's like, no. <laughs> Falls asleep. I was like, Grandma, you're screwing up the plan. This is what I'm thinking. And then you start giving, have you ever given God medical advice where you're like, God, I don't know if you know, but she... She's not doing well. And then I started giving God spiritual advice. I was like, God, I don't know if you know this, but she really needs to accept Jesus. And the day went on, and she was in and out of sleep. And we got to that night, and we got to a point where we had to drive home because we had to get back home to Colorado. And I had to walk out that door, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done because I had to leave not knowing. Has she asked Jesus? Is, is Jesus... Does he have reign in her life? Is he the Lord of her life? So I got home, and a few days later, um, I find out that my uncle, who later admitted to me that for years he's like, I gave up, it's just not going to happen. He said he got this strong tug. You know when you just know that you know that you know you need to do something? He got this tug. I said, go talk to her. And he had a conversation with her on that following Sunday. And then Monday morning... He went back and talked to her, and that morning she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. 48 hours later, she was gone. And I thought, there it is. <laughs> Once again, God, here you are with the reminder of your reign in my own life that over and over again you show up. And you gave me this heart that desired your reign in my grandma's life. <laughs> I just needed to step out of the way and let you reign in her life. So remember he reigns, desire his reign, and let him reign. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you truly are the most high God who rules over the kingdoms of men and you give them to anyone you wish. And that, Lord, thank you for opening our eyes to see that that is an indication of your heart for people. 
that the person in my life who's causing me strife, that is, not, that is not somebody who is opposed to you. That is someone that you want to be king of their life. And so, Lord, where I've forgotten that, forgive me. Where, I've, where we've all forgotten that, forgive us. But, Lord, set opportunities before us to give people an opportunity for you to reign in their lives. But also, Lord, remind us of what you've done in our, our own lives. Shape our hearts for others. And then, Lord, Show us how we can get out of the way um, because that's ultimately when you do what only you can do. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for coming this morning. We'll see you next week.